Good evening. It's really nice to be with you guys this evening and even this little unique way. Um, gather around God's word. I'm excited to be here with you. Um, I pray that God's perfect word would have its perfect way in you this evening, wherever you are. Pray that you'd be blessed because you've gathered around his perfect word. So um, we'll be in Exodus chapter 16 this evening, where we pick up the story of the nation of Israel as they're coming through the wilderness on their way to Sinai. Uh, we have recorded yet another crisis <laughs> of the nation of Israel, right? Another crisis has come their way. Namely, they're out of food. They're out of food. They have nothing to sustain them. They're hungry. And like any great crisis comes a great opportunity. And as we look at this crisis that the nation of Israel is facing this evening, I pray that we would be um, looking at ourselves and even more importantly, looking at this great God we serve to learn a little bit more about him. You see, it's a great opportunity as we see Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, sustaining and keeping alive his people day by day by the bread from heaven and the quail in the evening, I pray that we take this opportunity to remind ourselves that he divinely and perfectly provides for his people. He's the great provider. He is God, the provider, Jehovah Jireh. And I pray today we are blown away and amazed with him all over again. And you may be there this evening, even being in a little bit of a need and need some providing Today's for you. We serve a God who can provide. And I pray that we see that this evening, the character of God. Let's get right to it. Verses one through three, Exodus chapter 16, where we see God providing for his family. Verse one, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died at the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow, what a perspective the nation of Israel is having. What a, I entitled these first three verses, the grumblers, but that's the, really the PC version of it. It's really the grumblers that have gone crazy, right? Are you kidding me with this perspective and this attitude? Just a month outside of being in land of Egypt under slavery to have that kind of perspective, hungry, Empty stomachs had brought these people to be whining and complaining and grumblers. Now listen, everybody's been hangry before, right? <laughs> Everybody understands that concept. As a wrestling coach and a guy who competed in a sport that has a weight classes most of my life and have been around young men that have to make weight classes, I understand hangry. I understand hangry, okay? It's better off. You just got to give people a lot of grace and just stay away from them. I remember one time when my son, I was trying to help him get his last couple pounds off before a big tournament. 
and he couldn't break a sweat. I knew if we just could break a sweat, we'd be okay. He had two pounds to go. And he's on this bike pedaling away and he couldn't break a sweat. And so I start pushing him. I'm like, hey, we didn't drive all this way and spend all this money for you not to make weight. Get it going. Get this sweat going. Oh, and he was hangry. He looked right at me in the middle of a workout room with about 50 people in it, stood up off of the bike and pointed it at me and said, you're the worst dad in the world. I was like, the worst dad in the world? And I just left him. He was hangry. I gave him a lot of grace. I just left him alone and let him do his thing. Now, I'd give a lot of grace to the nation of Israel if this was a first-time occasion, but this is becoming a pattern with them. Remember last week, they were complaining about the water, now the food. It'll be a pattern of poor perspectives and attitudes that's going to last up to 40 years in the wilderness. They're hangry, yes, but it's a pattern of poor perspectives, and it's least worth considering ourselves here for just a moment. I see a few things here. When I read these verses two and three, I saw a lot of myself here. And maybe you'll see you. No one likes a whiner and a complainer. Nobody. And these people had poor perspectives and attitudes. And I see a few things here. I see in verse two, they're playing the blame game. And we ought not to do that. Remember what they said in verse two here? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Was that really who they were grumbling against? Ultimately, they were, they were grumbling against God himself. And that's a risky proposition at best, don't you think? In verse 8, Moses and Aaron say, who, who are we to be grumbling against us? This is above our pay grade. You grumble against the Lord himself. You see? It was above Moses and Aaron's pay grade to feed two million people in the wilderness They didn't have the goods to deliver. These people were blaming God himself for their plight, for their hunger. And I wonder sometimes if we fall into our whining and our complaining ways that maybe no one's to blame. Have you ever thought of that? Don't play the blame game. Maybe God reigns on the just and the unjust. Maybe he makes us hunger to produce something better out of us. I don't know. But maybe ultimately... The providence of God has you right where he needs you. And we ought not to be blaming people. Don't play the blame game. I'm, I'm totally guilty of this. And in verse three, I see them judging God's motives. Listen to this. In verse three, at the end there, it says, you brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I mean, really? I delivered you out of slavery so to kill you with hunger? What a, what a crazy perspective. And they're judging motives, don't you think? They're saying, I know why you're doing this. You're trying to kill us. It's something we all consider when we're starting to whine, when we get pressed and complain. Are we judging others' motives? Do we really know what people are thinking and why they do what they do? These people thought they knew what was going on. They had no idea what was happening. You see, there's only one who can judge motives, And that's the Lord himself. Man cannot see the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's God's job. These people had such a poor perspective. And we can too when we judge motives. Something to be aware of. But the kicker is the selective amnesia that these former slaves had. 
Listen to this phrase in verse three. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Really? That's what you remember from Egypt? The meat pot? Eating enough meat? You, that's what you remember, to eating so much, so much bread that you're full? That's really, that's what you remember from Egypt. These guys have lost their minds. A month ago, don't you remember when you were complaining and when you were, you were crying out to the Lord because you were so repressed? Don't you remember Pharaoh putting his thumb on you and making you make bricks day and night and oftentimes without straw? Don't you remember your taskmasters beating you down? Selective amnesia. Did you forget what it was like to be a slave under Pharaoh? You remember the meat pots, I see. <laughs> That's like the good old days, right? Always remember the good old days? They're better than, yeah. Selective amnesia, right? You run into people. You remember that time we did that? Wasn't that great? Nah, I don't, it wasn't that great for me. In college, I had a friend who on again, off again with a crazy girlfriend. I mean, excuse me, girls, but crazy and every time he broke up, you'd be like, oh, I just missed that relationship. I just, I, what do you miss? Throwing plates at her? What do you miss? Her playing games with you? It's selective amnesia. When we start to grumble, we start to build a case. We start to play the blame game. We start judging motives. And finally, we have selective amnesia. And these people have lost their mind. And we often do too when we have poor perspectives and we start complaining against God. We have nothing to complain about. They've lost their minds. Only the most calloused heart or the most stupid mind can say such things to our Lord. And that's what we do when we complain. These people have gone off the rails. And it's in that context that I want you to look at the next couple of verses. Because this is how our God responds to that kind of attitude. This is how he responds. Check out verse four and five. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about ready to rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So in the context of such a poor perspective, God graciously responds to these grumblers by raining down bread from heaven is what he's saying. And I'll tell you this, if there is anybody who doesn't see the grace of God in the Old Testament, look no further to the way that he responded graciously right here. It took them one month to turn on a dime and say things like you're trying to kill us. And he does not chastise them. He does not try to get them to change their mind. He simply generously provides for his people what they needed. This is a great God we serve. What a gracious and merciful and kind and providing God that we have. Raining down bread from heaven. He does it for one purpose here, at least in verse four, partly to test them. Did you see that? 
in verse four. I'm gonna do this that I may test them. He wants to test their faith. Would they by faith gather each day only what they needed and twice on the sixth day and rest on the seventh? That's the question we're gonna get answered here. Would they? Would they by faith take this promise, these provisions? God's provisions are to be taken by faith and with obedience, with trust, with dependency. It's a test that Israel failed for 40 years, as we'll see. I'll refer to you Deuteronomy chapter 8 when they were remembering the Lord. Verses 2, listen to this. And you shall remember the whole way, the whole 40 years, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you and he might test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you be hungry and he fed you with manna, which you did not know and your fathers did not know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes by the mouth of the Lord. He's teaching them something deeper. He's trying or testing their faith to say, listen, it's not about the food. It's a, it's a type. I want you to listen to me. I'm getting you ready for the law. I want you to not live by this bread, but by my words. And he's testing them. It's a test that Israel failed for 40 years. It's nothing more than this wilderness wandering of a revealing of God's faithfulness and Israel's faithlessness. God's provisions were not only to test Israel, verse four, but as we'll see in the next section, it's also to reveal God's glory. And this is a beautiful thing. I'd like you to see it in the next few verses. Let me read to you verses six through 12. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumblings that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumblings aren't against us, but against the Lord. Verse nine, then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Listen, God's provisions were to reveal his glory. Yes, verse four, test their faith. Teach them to start taking his promises by faith, but also to reveal his glory. Every created thing was made to glorify God. We know that even this meat and this bread that he's going to provide in the specifics of manna in the morning, as we'll see, and quail in the evening, it was all to glorify God. You see, to grasp this, we need to understand what glory means, what glory is. Glory primarily signifies an estimate or an opinion. 
It's really a weight. It's what I say and what I testify to be as into my reputation, how does that weigh out against how I'm revealing myself? How am I manifesting myself? That's the idea. It's, when I learn this word, it's like this. Here's the word picture. It's Babe Ruth. That's the word picture for glory. Do you remember what he did? The fable story goes. He gets up to bat, remember? And what does he do? He points to the outfield, remember? He said, that's my opinion of what I'm going to do with this pitch. It's right there. And you remember what he did? As the tale goes, he put it right there. And as he trotted around the bases, he had a certain glory. The weight of his opinion and his, his estimate of himself, his reputation, lined up with what he delivered in that moment. That's the idea. That's the idea. God gets the glory when his creation reflects his glory, his reputation, his proper self-estimate and opinion of his self. I am the provider, he would say. I am the faithful one. I am Jehovah Jireh. And when you see me deliver manna, when you see me bring up quail to cover this camp, when you see that, you're going to see my glory because I said I was the provider. I said I was the faithful one and you're going to eat today. And you're going to eat again the next day. And you're going to eat the next day for 40 years. That's me. I am your God. And that's my honor. That's to my glory. That's to my splendor. And if you're wondering what that looks like, look at the cloud in verse 10. You want to see God's Shekinah glory? You want to see that? It's in that cloud that's been showing him the way. In that moment, I don't know how it happened. Supernaturally, the estimate of what he said he was, all of it, all wrapped up in his Shekinah glory, the people saw that. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. That's awesome. That's him as they're full of quail. As they go out in the morning, that's him. You see, that's how he gets the glory from providing. That's why he provided in part to test, in part to show them his glory. It's all about reminding them who he is. That's why the Old Testament's so awesome. It's a reminder. It's an opportunity to say, who is this God? He's at least in part the provider and because of that, he has great glory. Verse 6, I want to provide so you remember who brought you out of Egypt. Who? Capital W, me. I brought you there, and I will provide for you. Verse 12, I'm going to provide so you remember that I am the Lord your God. That's me. When you see these provisions, may I be lifted high and glorified, because what I said is what I delivered. Amen? That's the idea. One way God showed his glory was through the display of mercy and goodness as he answered the grumblings with provisions. Graciously, he did that. God simply showed his Shekinah glory by loving and feeding his people even when they didn't deserve it. He is the provider, amen? That's our God. He put it all in that cloud so they could see it, amen? Now listen, how he does that specifically, up to now, we've just, he's said, I'm going to give you some meat in the evenings. I'm going to give you some bread in the morning. Let's see how that works out in the manna and the quail. Let's check it out in verse 13 through 15. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. 
And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. So meat, supernaturally, God's going to bring quail and it's going to cover the whole camp in the evenings. You want to eat? They're real easy. Just grab them, bonk them on the head and go to town. There's your, there's your protein. In the morning, you're going to get bread from heaven. In the form of, what is this? Literally, that's what the Israelites said. What is this? It was like the dew would come up and it was like frost. A flake-like substance would be left on that. If you look at verse 31, it's, uh, it says it's like coriander seed. It was white and it tastes like wafers soaked in honey. That's awesome. What is this? I've never seen this. Our fathers have never seen this. It'll never happen again after these 40 years. Awesome. And you gather it up. When the people saw it, they said, what is this? Literally mean manna. Moses said, this is what it is. It's the bread from heaven. Eat it. Amen? So we have the meat and the bread through the manna and the quail. It comes with some instructions. God's provisions come with some instructions. Let's check it out. How were they supposed to eat this? God's teaching them. They're like in parochial school. He's bringing them along. He wants them to have faith and trust and obey him. He's trying to get them ready for the law. He's trying to teach them the deeper things. Here it is. Check it out. Verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of people that each of you have in your tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. So listen, the most important thing we got to get out of this is that this food was a gift to God's people. All he asked at this point, up till now, all he asked (laughs) was don't keep any over for the next day. Take what you need daily, but don't hold any over. Don't hoard it, okay? Don't hoard it like the TP, right? Don't, Don't stockpile it. What he wants from his people right here is a daily bread, a daily dependence. He wants them to go out and gather all that you need. Go gather it, measure it, get what you need today, this morning and eat it to your full. And I'm going to give you what you need. And so your jar will be full in the morning. But guess what? I want your jar empty in the evening so that maybe it would be filled with hope. And then by faith, right? You would take my promise that there'll be more in the morning. Amen. He wants a daily dependence, right? He wants a daily faith, 
for these people. Reminds me of Jesus's prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread, right? This day, give me what I need. It's a dependency. It's Lord, I need you. Go about your day. And the next morning, Lord, I need you. It's a daily, it's a daily dependency. That's what he's stressing here. Remember those devotions, daily bread? You have to read it every morning, <laughs> right? It's afresh, every new. Give us this day our daily bread. I need you, Lord. Israel was to be kept in a perpetual state of dependency. So were we. <laughs> a perpetual state of dependency. That's where the Lord wants us all. He's teaching them this. They are being taught to trust in the Lord by faith. Remember faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoping for. Right? The evidence of things you can't see. That's that empty jar every evening. I'm hoping that it'll be filled the next day. Will by faith you use that instrument to make those promises real? Something you can hold on to? It's again and again and again. That's the idea. And we'll see in verse 20 and verse 21, some failed. Check it out. Is all he asked was don't hoard it. Check it out in verse 20. Some didn't. Some didn't listen to Moses, it says in verse 20. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. It bred worms and stank. It melted in the afternoon. God wanted them to walk by faith, not by what they could see. They needed to trust and obey God on a daily basis. He has more instructions in verse 22. Check it out. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came out and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord had commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will, bake and boil what you boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept to the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the fields. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. So listen, God's providing an opportunity for these people to rest. He's mentioning for the first time formally the Sabbath. And he's saying this to them. Be like me, and it's on me. That's what he's saying. I think you can see that here. He's saying, be like me first. Listen, God's resting on the seventh day. There's going to be no manna and no quail. I'm taking a break, God would say. I work in a rhythm. You want to be in rhythm with me? Be like me. I'm going to work for six, and I'm going to take a day off, God says. He's saying, be like me. You can gather for six, and then I want you to take a break. I want you to rest. The pattern of the Sabbath is rooted even in creation, right? And it becomes the foundation upon which it is formally instituted there on Sinai, right? 
It's rooted in creation, though, remember? It says there the Lord for six days created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. On the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He rested. The draw here for the, at least part of the draw to observe the Sabbath is to get in rhythm like God's in rhythm. Be in God's rhythm. Imitate God. Gather. He's saying, listen, be like me here. Get in rhythm with me. I'm your people. You're my God. I'm your God. Get in rhythm with me. So part of the other, part of the other draw of this, I think, is that it, they need to realize, hey, God's saying it's on me. I, I love this part of observing the Sabbath. These guys are just in baby school. He's saying, listen, I want you to get in rhythm with me, right? I want you to gather, but listen, it's six days special. I want you to double gather so that you don't have to work on that rest day. In other words, you observing the Sabbath is not going to be a debit for you. I'm going to provide double on day six so you don't have to feel the pain of taking a break. You have no excuse now. It's on me. Listen, take the day off. It's on me. Just gather a little more the day before. The rules that I told you about the other, the other five days, it doesn't apply to this day. You can actually keep it over till the morning. Bake it. Boil it. And in the morning, remember what it said? It didn't stink. He said, I'm going to provide for you. Not only be like me, but listen, it's on me. It's on me. I'm going to let you have double so you can take a break. And you can get a Sabbath day rest. And it's speaking quite literally here of a physical rest. But listen, it's, it's deeper than that. It's a spiritual rest. It's a Sabbath day's rest. It's a divine day of rest. Could you imagine camping for 40 years? Can you imagine just the ins and outs of that? The tiredness, the weariness? 40 years. The weekly rhythm of the Sabbath would be a weekly reminder of the Lord's faithfulness to provide, Right? A realization that it's not going to cost you anything to take that break. He's going to provide for you even in that day of rest. Hmm. It's on me. And be like me. The Sabbath, the first mention of it, it'll be formally instituted there on Sinai. Some failed this test as well, and they didn't find any rest. Check it out in verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord says, listen, take a day off. Do what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any quail or manna. Take a break. And by the way, why don't you just gather twice? I'm going to give you more. I'm going to let you hold it over so that you and I can commune and have a Sabbath day rest together. They didn't listen. Some of them went out and started working. And it said they found nothing. They had no rest because they had no faith. And I don't know when we'll learn this, but there is a great connection between faith and rest. It's what the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter four, basically defines as a faith rest life should be the bookends of God's people. By faith, I'm going to rest in you and let you live a life through me. You see, without faith, we'll never have true rest ever. 
such a picture here in verse 27. They went out in surprise. They had no rest and they found nothing. I don't know when we'll learn that there is this connection between faith and rest. It's a connection that took Israel over 40 years to get. Do you remember what kept them out of their Canaan land, out of their promised land? It was their disbelief, it says in the Bible. That's what kept them from crossing the Jordan and getting the milk and honey. This story will be told. For 40 years, it was your disbelief that kept you out of there. And then, by faith, they finally entered into Canaan, right? And do you remember what they got there? They got the land of milk and honey, and they got rest. They got God's rest. You got to see this in Joshua chapter 21. Check this out, verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had shown to their fathers. Not one of their enemies, when they were in Canaan, had withstood them. From the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. He gave them rest on all sides. I love that. He gave them rest on all sides because they had faith. That's what kept the nation of Israel from entering in to their promised land and true Sabbath day rest. Amen. Verse 28, because of this failure, God got angry. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It's a sobering verse. It says simply this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. When you don't make this connection between faith and rest, when you don't follow his commandments by faith, place your hope and faith in those promises, it's impossible to please him. If your motive is anything other than faith and dependency on God, it's impossible to please him. Sobering. He got angry. In verse 28, he said this, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The Lord has given to you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. What I want to talk about on this little section here is, did you notice who, Mo, who the Lord blamed here? Did, did he say, hey, Moses, tell the people that I'm tired of them not listening to me. What did he say? He said, and the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> how long will you refuse me in my commandments? That surprised me when I read this. It stuck out to me. It highlighted. It arrested me a little bit. It's something to remember. Moses was responsible for Israel. At this point in this nation's history, Moses was responsible for them. He was the people's representative. He answered to God on their behalf. He was an advocate or a mediator, if you will, between God and the people. He was like a parent at a certain point. I remember not so many years ago, my wife and I were making 
some decisions regarding our two boys. And it was um, when people we knew, even people in our family found out the direction we were headed, they didn't uh, buy into it. They didn't like it in some ways. And I remember, as hurtful as that was, I remember saying to myself, if, prayerfully, if God really put this on my heart, and this is really the direction I feel for my family, and something goes wrong, God's not going to come looking for their friends' dads. God's not going to come looking for their grandpa or their uncle or their aunts. They're going to come looking for me. I remember having that weight. God's going to come looking for me. I am in charge of these two boys, and they're my responsibility to advocate for them to the Lord. I need to do what God put on my heart. In a way, really, Moses was responsible for this. Now, listen, Moses was nothing more than a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus Christ our representative, our advocate, our mediator between God, right? This is what God is painting, a little prophetic foreshadow. Remember the apostle Paul in his letter, his first letter to Timothy in chapter two? He said, there's one God, right? One God. (laughs) And one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave a ransom for all. That's what this is picturing in my opinion. God came looking for Moses. At this point, God gives a little bit more revelation to Moses than he did the people. Moses, I'm coming to you. I'm expecting more from you. You are the advocate. And I'm glad there is a perfect one now who stands between us and God, Jesus Christ. Unlike Moses, this is a perfect, perfect man, Jesus Christ. Amen. And he is our advocate. He stands between sinful man and a holy God, advocating, mediating for us. Amen? That's, I think, the prophetic foreshadow that we see. We'll finish up here with the last few verses here. And what it is, is it's God designating manna as a memorial bread. He wants us to remember what he did for them by providing for their needs. Let's check it out. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna and fill it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. It's good to remember sometimes, amen? It's good to remember. God desires future generations to see this manna, to see that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he will provide. He sustained people 40 years on this stuff. As they took another lap around Mount Sinai, he fed them day by day. What a faithful, providing, gracious God. Amen. He wanted future generations to see a memorial of his faithfulness to his promises. So a jar full of this was set and hidden in the Ark of the Covenant 
That's what the testimony, that's before it became the Ark of the Covenant, they set a jar of this in the presence of the Lord. They set this in there as a testimony. This hidden jar of manna, as it sits there and travels with them, is to be a memorial so that we would remember God's faithfulness. It also, (laughs) I think, is a future promise that the real bread from heaven would be coming on the scene thousands of years later, but the real bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, would come to his sinful people as well. And God's going to rain him down. Amen? And I can't wait to see that in the Gospels. But for now, future generations, look for the one, even now pointing to Jesus, right here. He would later say, I am the bread of life. Right? It's me that I want you to eat of to have eternal life. Amen? So as we remember Exodus chapter 16, may we take this opportunity to remember a gracious providing, generous God who provided for his people both manna and quail, even when they were grumbling complainers and whiners. Amen. He is a providing. And if you find yourself in need, even this evening, you know, I don't know where you guys are at, but I pray that in this time of need, that you're more dependent on him, that your jar may be empty, but you might be closer to being where you need to be than you were before this pandemic and maybe before you had your job, right? I'm not, it's not lost on me how difficult it is to have financial problems or needs during this time. It's a crazy time. But I wonder, I wonder if we'll look to Jehovah Jireh and maybe see a jar empty, but that will be filled the next day. And maybe we'll see his faithfulness day in and day out. I pray that for you today. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. That even during this time when we've lost finances and we've lost uh, a lot, that we'd be looking, maybe we're a little closer to God than we were when we started. Maybe we have to live a little bit more in dependency of him. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Amen. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your perfect word. Thank you for your excellency, for being Jehovah Jireh, the provider of your people. I pray that that would be realized even this day and even tomorrow morning when your mercies come afresh again. Would you fill our jars in the morning? Father, we thank you. We're so grateful for you for being faithful to us, a sinful people. So would you go with your people? Would you be glorified in them throughout this week as you are in heaven? In Jesus' name, amen.